If you have your Bible, find your way to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Uh, this morning we start a new series, but uh, before we do that, I just want to say that I'm not a prophecy expert. I don't claim to be, but I think negative 14 degrees on the first day of March is a sign of the end times. <laughs> just want you to know that. I'm going to throw that out there. Nothing makes you say, come Lord Jesus, any quicker. Well, this morning we start a new series entitled All In, and I bet as many of you that's in this room, there's probably some of you that there's an area in your life where you like to play it safe. It may be adventure, it may be your finances, it may be relationships, but you have a tendency to sometimes want to hold back a little bit. But you know, when it comes to our walk with God, the Bible calls us to be all in. And I realize that Many of us are at different stages in our walk with the Lord, but the Bible is constantly calling us that when it comes to Jesus, we can't sit on the sidelines. We're to be all in and fully devoted to the Lord Jesus. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some different examples in the Bible that teach us what it means to live a life that's all in. And we're going to look at a great example of that here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, recognizing that if there's any authority in this room, it's the authority of God's Word that's been breathed out by God. Mark, chapter 14, beginning at verse 3, and this is our scripture this morning. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table... A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some there who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, what a joy it is to be among your people and to be able to study your Word. Spirit, teach us. Convict us. Open our hearts to see and understand what it means to be fully devoted to Jesus. And thank you that you have given us instructions in your Word You've given us examples as to what this looks like. May we be encouraged and challenged, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It was a Friday morning in the middle of rush hour in the Washington, D.C. metro when a man emerged from the crowd and he took a, his place by a wall. He carried with him a very small case of which he pulled out from it a violin and over the next 
43 minutes right there in the Washington, D.C. metro, he played six classical masterpieces. During that time, about 1,100 people walked by that man. Most of them didn't even stop to pay attention. Had they stopped even for a moment to pay attention, they might have realized that this was not just any violinist, this was Joshua Bell, the internationally acclaimed violinist who just three days before had sold out Boston Symphony Hall. The cheapest ticket on that night went for $100 a seat, but on that day, In the Washington Metro, Joshua didn't even get $30. Also, if they would have stopped for just a moment to recognize who he was, they might have also realized that this wasn't some pawn shop violin he was playing. It was an 18th century violin worth over $3.5 million. But on that day, Joshua and his violin could not capture the attention of busy people on their way to work. Greatness. And it wasn't even noticed. Can you imagine being in the presence of someone so talented, of being around something so valuable, and yet it doesn't receive the honor that it deserves? Well, with that kind of imagery in your mind, that's precisely how Mark describes a situation in Mark chapter 14, but it's even on a larger scale than that. Uh, Imagine with me it's Passover, which, which means there's a large crowd that is gathering. It's rush hour, if you will. I mean, it's camel upon camel upon camel, like bumper to bumper traffic. I mean, it would be the equivalent of, you think about here in the Twin Cities, uh, the Vikings, the Twins, the Wild, the Timberwolves, uh, uh, a festival, a concert, all happening at the exact same time. The noise of the crowd, there's laughter, there's families traveling together, and everybody's preparing for a time of celebration. And yet they don't see greatness. And Mark tells us in verse 2 of this passage that, that just aside from that, you have a gathering in secret of religious leaders who are debating as to the best way to put Jesus to death. Greatness, and they don't even notice. And then Mark scales back even further a a few miles just outside of town in a place called Bethany where there's a, a dinner party taking place. And boy, does it have quite the interesting group that's come together. Mark tells us, first of all, that the host of the party is a man by the name of Simon. He calls him Simon the leper. That's an unfortunate title because his title should be Simon the former leper. Because, you see, this man, had he still had leprosy, would not be able to be around people. In fact, most believe that this is likely someone that Jesus had healed in his ministry. And and wouldn't you think that this guy would be kind of the focus of the party? I mean, 
Could you imagine sitting down and having a conversation with Simon? Like, what was it like to live in isolation? What was it like for nobody to speak to you, everybody to laugh at you, and now the next moment you're having a party at your home with people? And yet, he's not the main focus of this particular passage. This story is also given in the other Gospels. In fact, John tells us another man is at the party. His name is Lazarus. You say, well, what's so important about him? Oh, nothing other than he used to be dead. <laughs> and can't you imagine what it would be like to have him in your home and to, to ask stories about, so, so, so what was it like, Razzers, to be dead and now be alive? You know, there's been times as I've traveled, I've woken up in a foreign country and, you know, had to take a few moments to gather where I am. Imagine being dead, opening your eyes, and you're back alive. And yet he's not the focus of this story. Matthew tells us that the, all the disciples are here as well. And imagine what it would be like to be able to talk with them. I mean, they've seen so much of what Jesus has done in his ministry. They have seen bread multiplied. They have seen storms calmed. They have seen the lame walk. They have seen demons cast out. You would think that they would be the focus of the story, but they're not the focus of the story. Among all these different layers, Passover, religious leaders, Simon, Lazarus, the disciples, Mark narrows in on a woman who sees greatness and responds. She hasn't been healed like Simon. She hasn't been raised like Lazarus. She hasn't been able to see up close and personal all that Jesus has done like the disciples have been able to do, but she sees greatness, and she responds to that greatness with being all in. In fact, you know what she does. She takes a jar a very expensive perfume, and she breaks it, she shatters it, and anoints Jesus with it. And, and there's something in that very action of breaking the jar and anointing Jesus that gives us an example, a picture of what it means to be all in when it comes to Jesus. Here's the first thing that Mary teaches us here. We know it's Mary based on John's account. She shows us, first of all, Brian, if we're going to be all in, we have to disregard the cost. Disregard the cost. Look at verse 3 again. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask with ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Notice that phrase, very costly. And some of you may know this, but this was pure nard or spike nard. It was imported from India. Uh, it was worth in the neighborhood of 300 pence or about a year's salary. So I want you to think right now, whatever it is that you normally make in a year, and imagine it gone in three seconds. Broken, poured out, sacrificed, given, 
for Jesus. Mary here doesn't care about the cost, something that would have been so valuable for people in that day, and yet she immediately, without hesitation, and quite frankly with intention, breaks it, gives it away in light of who Jesus is. Most likely this would have been a family heirloom of some type. Normally people in those days would save this kind of pure nard for a a major family wedding or funeral. And yet Mary is willing to put all of those future plans, all of that financial security on the line to express to Jesus how much she loves him. Now, I would imagine, certainly if there were any Baptist in the room, that there were some saying, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. We've never done that before. We don't do that at church. But Mary was so in love with Jesus that monetary value, her present security, and her future plans didn't matter. Because she saw greatness, and in the presence of greatness, the cost was unimportant. And that's what all-in really looks like, friends. A, A life that's all-in sees the infinite value of Jesus to the point that everything else in your life takes on lesser value. It's not that it's not important. It's not that it doesn't have value, but it's in light of Jesus, nothing's more valuable than Him. And we see this often in the Scriptures, don't we? Do you remember uh, Paul in Philippians 3? I mean, this guy's the valedictorian of the religious leader's class, isn't he? He's top of the class. He's from the right family. He's done the right things according to the law. And he looks at everything he's accomplished in this life. And he says, it is rubbish. You know what rubbish is. Human dung. In light of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus more. Paul says there's nothing that compares to the value of Christ. Many of you remember the story of five missionaries who felt called to go to a tribe that Time Magazine called the most savage tribe in all the world. After about three months of air-to-ground contact, they finally landed on Friday, a few tribe members came out and they, they seemed friendly. But then all of a sudden, they left abruptly. On Saturday, no one showed up. And on Sunday, all five of those missionaries were speared to death. One of those missionaries, Jim Elliott, his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, we referred to her last week, Fearing that her husband was dead, wrote this to her parents. I have no idea what I will do if Jim is dead, but the Lord knows and I am at rest. There are no regrets. We trust our loving Father, and hear this phrase, who does not waste anything. For all those that would say, 
You, you got a World War II person, you've got a, a, a track star, you've got men who were highly educated. What a waste! Elizabeth Elliot says anything that is done in the value of Jesus Christ and recognizing who He is is never wasted. What does following Jesus cost you? Maybe I just need to let that land for a little while. Because if it doesn't cost you something, you're probably not all in. I remember just a few months ago being in Greece and watching some Muslims who had converted to Christianity be baptized. And they told us, don't take pictures because we don't want their face on Facebook. Because if their face ends up on the internet, it may threaten their lives. And I had the opportunity to speak to these men, and I thought, they've counted the cost. And I remember one moment in China when there was a man named Eden, and I had, I had shared the gospel with him, and I wanted to give him a Bible. And when I handed him a Bible, his reaction I will never forget because he looked over his shoulder to see if anybody else was looking because he knew if he took that Bible, it would cost him something. He gave it back, but praise God, three hours later, he asked for it back. What does following Jesus cost you? Because it's easy to sit on the sidelines, to, to give a little, to attend a little, to read a little. But oh, friends, when we look at Mary, we look at someone who says, Jesus is so infinitely valuable, there's nothing I could give. There's nothing that I could give that would not be worth it. A life that is all in doesn't care about what it cost because Jesus is worthy of whatever it cost. Amen? The second thing Mary shows us here is not just a disregard for the cost, but also a disregard for criticism. Now, I'll probably get in a little trouble here, but that's all right. Look at verse 4. I get in trouble all the time. Verse 4 says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Now, we know from the other gospel writers that this is, these are the disciples who say this, specifically Judas. Now, I just imagine here the, the strong rebuke. This is public. It's humiliating. They look at her and say, what? why would you do something like this? It doesn't make any sense for you to respond like that. I wonder, is there, this is a little side note. I didn't even plan this. This is for free. I wonder how many of you, I wonder how many of us have anything in our life as Christians that the world would look at you and say, you're crazy. You give like that? You live like that? You believe that? Because listen, when you're living all in for Jesus, it's going to bring some criticism. There will always be those, particularly those who are on the sidelines, who will look at the people willing to shatter anything because Jesus is worthy of it and say, why would you do something like that? 
And so they rebuke her publicly and they humiliate her. But what's really going on? Oh, Berean, this is worth it. Get this. It's because deep inside, their criticism is nothing more than a reflection of their lack of devotion being exposed. The issue really isn't what she sacrificed. The issue is what they weren't willing to sacrifice. That'll preach, won't it? They're exposed here. The the devotion of Mary, her being all in for Jesus, has exposed in the disciples that maybe, at least at this moment, they're not. Now let me just ask you, can we just be honest? Can we have a conversation? You know anybody in church, you know anybody in life who just like to be critical about other people and the way they do things? No. Certainly not in church. Man, and I, you know, sarcasm is my spiritual gift, you know, but it's also my love language. Gary Chapman totally missed that one. But I do want to be honest for a moment. I've had a lot of conversations with people in ministry who can't get past their preference. I've talked with parents whose teenagers felt like God was leading them to a career path that maybe their parents didn't ultimately want for them. I've talked with grandparents who really struggled with their grandchildren who were considering, or children considering adopting a a child of a different color. I've heard a lot in church, and I teased about this earlier, of, well, you're not supposed to do it that way, or we've never done it that way before. What's really broke my heart is I've talked with a lot of older adults who are dismissive of Younger adults who have a different way of doing things but love the Lord and young adults who are very dismissive of older adults because they do it differently when they really love the Lord. Why the criticism? I'll tell you, it's because just like the disciples, all you can see is the external. All you see is the preference. All you see is the style. All you see is the skin color. All you see is the financial loss. All you see is a broken, shattered piece of jar. But you miss the point. The point is the internal devotion to the all-surpassing value of Jesus. And what will we do when we show up in Revelation 5 and we're gathered around the throne and we sing a new song and that song's not in the style you like? Because in that day, the preference doesn't matter, Jesus matters. And that's what's being exposed here. Don't you get it, disciples? You're trying to be all spiritual. We could have given this to the poor. That's not the issue, and you know it. The issue is you've been exposed. It's like 2 Samuel 6. I know I'm going to get emails on this message, but that's all right. It's like 2 Samuel 6 when David's so excited, man, he just loves the Lord. He's excited about the temple, and you know what he does? He starts dancing. I'm not going to reenact that. That'd be embarrassing. But he starts dancing, and his wife is embarrassed and says, 
She rebukes him. And do you know what he says? I love this response. I'll become even more undignified than this. You see, friends, I've just known some Christians in my life that rather than join David in the dancing, they'd rather debate whether or not dancing should be allowed. And you miss the point. Give me a church passionate about Jesus any day than a church that's fighting about preference. But we should have used it for something else. Get over it. It's about Jesus. That's what Mary exposes because she's all in and she doesn't care what you think. And when you're a Christian and you, you, you do that sensitively and in love, and yes, there may be times when you surrender your own rights. I get that. That's biblical. But for Mary, I don't really care what it costs, and I don't really care what other people say. I love Jesus, and I'm going to worship Him. Isn't that, is that good? Do you still love me? Don't throw anything at me, you know. It's the Bible. I, I came across this that I thought was a helpful illustration in terms of being exposed by the devotion of others. I'll, I'll just I'll read it quickly and move on. It's about a, a woman who was at a playground with her child. It says she took her children to the park to break the routine of summer days, only to have her heart broken. She was watching her children play on the playground as she noticed a car drive into the parking lot. When the car came to a screeching stop, she noticed that a young, attractive woman jumped out of the car, smiling from ear to ear, and hurried quickly to a private picnic table. The imagination of the mother began to build. Who would she be meeting in such a secluded spot, she wondered. Maybe she's excited to meet her husband. Maybe she's meeting her best friend for lunch. Maybe this is the meeting of secret lovers. So she waited to see if anyone else would be showing up, but no one ever did. After watching her children for a few moments, she glanced back over to the other woman, and what she saw broke her heart. The woman was reading her Bible. The one she jumped from the car to meet was the Lord. And the reason that her heart was broken was that she realized in that moment she no longer had the same kind of enthusiasm. There was a time when the passion was strong and the love burned bright, but now her affections were gone. One of the things I hope Mary's story will do for us this morning is expose our own lack of devotion that it might be encouraged to go deeper. She did that for the ones in the room. May she do that for those in this room. She didn't care about the cost. She didn't care about the criticism. In fact, what the disciples should have done. Do you know what they should have done instead of saying, you shouldn't have done it that way? What they should have done is say, can I join you? I know you do it differently. I know I probably wouldn't have done it that way. 
but I love Jesus too. So could I pour some? That's the response of someone who's all in. Last thing we learn, not only disregarding the cost and the criticism, but where does this come from? Being all in originates from a life that's been changed. A life that's been changed. Notice verse 6, how Jesus responds. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. So what does Jesus do? Defend her. Hey, it's always good when Jesus defends you. I mean, I just would have loved to have seen that moment when, when they're all, I can't believe you're doing this, and Jesus just steps up and says, stop it. You know, and they just like hide in the corner. He defends her. Why? She's done a beautiful thing. She's done the right thing. Verse 7, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you'll not always have me. In other words, he not only defends her, he approves of what she did. Jesus here is not saying it's not good to help the poor. He's saying the ultimate thing is the worship and devotion to me. Verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now what does that mean? What does it mean that as the gospel is proclaimed throughout the whole world, there's going to be some sense of memorial for her? Well, just practically, we, we're looking at her life right now. But I think there's a larger point than that. And here it is. Come in real close. I want you to get this. As the gospel goes out, as Jesus and him crucified is proclaimed to the ends of the earth, the gospel will do in your life what it did in Mary's. Her memory will go on in that what Jesus did in her life is what Jesus will do in every life. Namely, he will, if you really know him, capture your affections. Listen, Berean, before the gospel affects your hands or moves your feet, it transforms your heart. Religion won't do that. Church and religiosity won't do that. Jesus will. Jesus, when proclaimed through the gospel, will give you a new heart. For any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, all things are new. It's about life change. It's about heart change. Or, or say it this way, before the gospel moves you to action, it captures your affection. And that's when you know whether or not you truly are a follower of Jesus. Do you love Him? I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking if you're a member here. I'm not asking you, do you have a daily quiet time? I'm asking, do you love Jesus with all your heart? Because you remember the guy one day that said, I got a question, I got a question, I got a question. What's the greatest command and what does Jesus say? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart. 
That's what the gospel does. The gospel will do in us what it did in Mary's life. That is, it will create a, a, a river in us, a spring in us that sees Jesus as the most valuable thing, the most valuable person in all of our lives to the point that we'd give up anything, anything to express our love to Him. And it's that, Brian, it's that, it's the gospel that makes Mary stand out in this passage up against the whole rest of the context. Here, here's what I mean. While others are a few miles away trying to develop a strategy to kill Jesus, while some in college classrooms and Hollywood film rooms are trying to discredit Jesus, what we will do if we know the gospel is love him. And we'll join with that guy who was healed of leprosy and that man who got raised from the dead, and we're going to be a, a gathering of misfit people saved by the gospel, and we're going to express our love and devotion to him because that's what the gospel does. And like the crowd, do you remember the Passover crowd? While others are going through their religious activities of Passover, and church members walk in and out of church every single Sunday, going through the motions, doing a few good things during the week to impress others, what we do when we know the gospel is in the private places, we're not concerned about pleasing man. We just want to please God and love him because that's what the gospel does in us or the disciples while others sit on the sideline with critical hearts they talk but they don't act we won't sit back and let an opportunity pass to express our love for Jesus because that's what the gospel does. And lastly, when you have people who are counting the cost, they're trying to run the numbers, they're thinking of all the alternative ways and things that should have taken place, we will sacrifice. We will sacrifice because there's nothing of greater value than Jesus. There is nothing that if broken for God, He will not one day repair that's what the gospel does. Are you all in? In your love for Jesus? Are you at that point in your walk with God where you would say, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what other people say. I believe in Jesus and that has changed me. My affections are different. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And what you need to do is to count the cost of what it means to surrender today by faith and follow Him. Should I remind you that it, it was a Friday in the rush hour of Passover that a man emerged from the crowd and he did not find his place against a wall, he found his place on a Roman cross. He was not wearing clothes. He had been stripped of all his clothes. And he was beaten and bloodied 
and not the kind of thing you want to look at. And so most people just walked right on by. But had they stopped even for just a moment, they might have realized that this wasn't a criminal. This was and is the Son of God. And those were not just two pieces of wood. It was the final and ultimate payment for our sin. But on that day, greatness wasn't even noticed. May it never be for us that we see the value, the all-surpassing value of Jesus to where everything in this life decreases in value because that's where all in begins. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It's convicting, but thank You for examples like Mary where we see a life that's surrendered, that's all in, that doesn't care about the cost, doesn't care about what other people say because they've been changed, changed by the Gospel. So help us this morning in a very practical way as we leave here in a few moments to to count the cost and to, to look at what does this mean for how I live my life. Lord, do that work in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.